0: Hi, I'm Brenda Burns, and this is the Vienna Assembly of God Sermons Podcast. Thank you for listening. It's an honor to share this time with you. Learn more about the ministries of Vienna Assembly of God at viennaag.com. Please leave your comments and reviews on the platform where you're listening. And now for today's message. in a study on the book of Revelation. And um, how many have enjoyed it so far? Have you been enjoying this? Yeah, yeah, I have too, very much. I I was reading... Um, so... During the week, you know, when I'm here by myself, that window over there, the sun shines really nice right there. And so one, one day during my reading, I was just sitting there and I, I just had me a glory time here in the sanctuary <laughs> studying this. So I, I'm looking, f- I am enjoying it and looking forward to as we keep moving through. We began a couple of weeks ago and I'm already realizing that we're gonna be moving a little more slowly through the book than I may first have thought. But as I study each week, here's something I'm realizing, that each element of this study of the book of Revelation brings in additional scripture, and it helps us to see the full biblical narrative. So I'm not feeling that we're going to get a cooped-up feeling um, like we're stuck in Revelation. I think it's going to be expansive, and, and it's solidifying of our faith as we continue to see Jesus revealed. So we have a lot to cover today. I want to remind you, if you need to catch up, um, haven't heard the previous messages, that they're available um, on Apple Podcast and on our website. So Revelation promises a blessing to the one who reads it aloud and to those listening to it being read. So, so far, we have read the opening chapter and then the first of the seven oracles to the seven churches in Asia. Today, we're going to read two more of those oracles, and they are in Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. I'm going to read the oracle to the church in Smyrna, and then share a little bit about that, and then read the next one. So beginning at Revelation 2, verse 8. "'Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. "'This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, "'who was dead but is now alive. "'I know about your suffering and your poverty, "'but you are rich. "'I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. "'They say they are Jews, but they are not "'because their synagogue belongs to Satan.' Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. So Smyrna was a beautiful and prosperous city. It, was moder- it is modern-day Itzmir in Turkey. It was a harbor town about 35 miles north of Ephesus, and it was nicknamed the Jewel of Asia. It was one of the few planned cities of antiquity. It also was one of the centers of the imperial cult, the religion of worshiping the emperor of Rome. One, one thing I read about this imperial cult was the, what it meant back then, in this time, if somebody was called an atheist, it meant they weren't worshiping Caesar. That Caesar was being elevated as God, and that's what it meant. Well, Jesus identifies himself here as the first and the last, and he who was dead but is now alive. If you remember the vision that John had in the first chapter of Revelation of all the amazing. Uh things about jesus now in these oracles he takes one of those things and pulls it out and and uses it in each specific message to the church and and in this church the one that he is saying i see your suffering i know about your poverty i know that you are going to face more death he says i am the first and the last the one who was dead but is now alive now this word for poverty It indicates an extreme poverty, desperately poor, even though they're in the middle of this prosperous, beautiful city. So why were these followers of Jesus so stricken with poverty? Well, one reason is because of their separation from worshiping Caesar. This kept them from participating in any of the guilds. They were basically unable to. To make a living. In addition, the Jews in this city were bringing accusations and opposition to the church. So, in this passage, they're called the synagogue of Satan. And the reason for that is because they were participating in what the devil does, which is accusing God's people. So, many of the scholars want to point out that this phrase, the synagogue of Satan, is not as anti-Semitic as it sounds. Because I believe historically there have been those that have pulled that out as an excuse for um, very anti-Semitic um, bad ways of treating the Jews. But in this case, as in much of the New Testament, where you read when the Apostle Paul was on his trips, there was much opposition ...from the Jews, and that's what was going on here. So they were cast out from the guilds and and anything, any way to really make a living. And they were also this added pressure of the Jews um, accusing them, bringing them before the authorities, adding to the harassment. But here's the thing. Jesus has no words of admonition or rebuke for this church. There are seven oracles, and only two of the churches does he only have good things to say to them. He does not rebuke them for anything. He's not chastising them. He is encouraging them while also acknowledging that they're going to continue to suffer. The statement, you will suffer for 10 days, has been taken to mean for a limited amount of time. But it's still going to go on. He encourages them to remain faithful even when facing death. And he's reminded them that he is the resurrected one, the one who was dead but is now alive. He's promising them, he's with them through all of their suffering. And friends, he is with you through all of your suffering. He is with you. But I do wonder... Who wants to sign up to join the church at Smyrna? (laughs) I mean, it's pretty simple, right? You get to be poor, like truly dirt poor. Uh, You get to suffer. Uh, Some of you get to go to prison. Some of you will face death. And you get to be blasphemed and opposed. This is not the kind of thing that we think of putting on our website to invite others to join us here in church, you know? It's not in any church growth manuals. This isn't what is encouraged in order to be relevant to our community. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a beautiful, prosperous place as well. So imagine a young person who has grown up in Smyrna. They are living a comfortable, prosperous life in a beautiful and esteemed city. They have a promising future as part of one of the guilds, and they live in relative freedom. I mean, all they have to actually do is just give homage and worship to the emperor. But then they can live the rest of life unharassed. One day... They meet a member of the church at Smyrna. Now, what would this poverty-stricken outcast possibly have to offer this up-and-coming young person? But what did Jesus say to the church in Smyrna? He said, But you are rich he reminded them of his promises and that if they will remain faithful he will give them the crown of life this crown is the victor's wreath that was given in athletic competitions it was also found on hellenistic tombstones Throughout the book of Revelation, we are continually invited to see beyond the veil of what seems real to us and see the real picture from Jesus' perspective. Jesus sees this church as rich, prosperous, overflowing, strong, the champions of the race, the powerful ones who are memorialized with the crown of life. Being poor isn't necessarily a sign of being righteous, okay? We're saved through grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And in Smyrna, their circumstances were harder than what some others had to deal with, which is basically not fair. It's not fair. They suffered because of their choice to follow Jesus. And we can receive encouragement from this. When you suffer in some way, Because you choose to say yes to Jesus rather than yes to the culture around you, Jesus sees that and he says, you are rich. But what about this young person? Think about his meeting with one of the church members of Smyrna. Here's the revelation for us to grasp. (laughs) Is which one of those people in that conversation is the rich one? And which one is living in abject poverty? An interesting thing to keep in mind about this book of Revelation is that every church... Was reading every oracle. So the church at Smyrna also read the oracle that had gone to the church at Ephesus and, and so forth. It, everyone was seeing what each other was saying. And I wonder if the church at, if the other churches, once they heard of the plight of their brothers and sisters in Smyrna, did they send some supplies and some resources to help them? This is what we do when we learn of needs. This is a, a, an important thing to do that that we would be open and responsive when we learn of needs. But in this conversation between the which one was rich and which one was poor, Jesus said his follower is the one that is rich. And to accept that, if in fact the one with the true riches would turn a blind eye to the poverty of the one who doesn't know Jesus, then how is that any different than turning a blind eye and not caring for the poor? Yep, there's going to be suffering, yep. You're going to face rejection and opposition, and Jesus never once promised it would be easy. I dare you to find the verse where Jesus said, it's easy. It's not there, but he did say he would always be with us. And when we meet someone or we know someone that needs the hope of Jesus, let's don't be stingy with the good news. We are rich. We are rich in God. Let us be willing to invite them into our church family and to learn of Jesus. We may not be rich like what Northern Virginia defines as rich, but my friends, you are rich (laughs) and we have the love of God and you have people in your life that need to receive that love. So this isn't about being a big church. This is about kindling your first love, like we talked about last week, and letting go of the world's affections. This is about looking forward to Jesus coming to us and saying, I see you. I know your works. I see your suffering and your poverty, yet you are Rich. It's about hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So here's how he ends that oracle to Smyrna. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Who is the one that's victorious? He has already defined it, the one who is faithful to the end. This is the persistent message of Revelation, to don't give up, to keep holding on, to persevere in faith. The promise is strong. It is powerful. It should steal us for the task you will not be harmed by the second death. There is more to this life than just what you see. And Jesus' revelation is reminding us of this. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to read the next oracle. And just talk through that a moment, and then we'll be done. This is starting at verse 12, and this is the message to the church in Pergamum. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. Yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Pergamum was an even more prominent city in terms of the imperial cult. Jesus commends this church for their loyalty, even in the face of martyrdom. And he, ind- he identifies himself as the one with the sharp two-edged sword which in addition to the imagery that we may associate with the powerful word of God, um, it also brings to mind to the original readers, the sword of Christ is stronger than the sword of the Roman authorities. So the city where Satan has his throne has several possible explanations, but the most likely is that this imperial cult worship was prominent there, one of the largest temples Was there. John continually draws the contrast between the empire of this world and the victorious kingdom of God. The church at Pergamum refused to deny Jesus, they were steadfast in their faith. Now, for time's sake, we're going to wait till next week to talk more about Jesus' complaint to Pergamum because it corresponds with what comes next in the oracle to Thyatira. But I want to look at the closing of this oracle. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. Now, manna is the supernatural food provided to God's people in the wilderness. We read about that. In the Exodus, the Ark of the Covenant contained some manna that was hidden away in the Ark. And then that was hidden away in the Holy of Holies. Jesus proclaimed that he is the bread of life. And on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Jesus' promise to give some of this hidden manna to those who are victorious brings all these images to mind. Beyond that, though, Jesus said in the temptation to the devil, he said this, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He had the two-edged sword coming from his mouth. And he proclaims that he is giving some of the hidden manna to those who are victorious. If you are willing to be the one that will hold on. He will provide for you the spiritual nourishment that you need in order to it through every trial. To be faithful to every test. To be loyal in every situation. He will give you some of the hidden manna. Amen. And then he said at last, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. So now one way this white stone could be understood culturally, what did the original readers understand when they read this? There there was a a thing called a tesseract. It was a stone that was used sort of like a ticket to an event or an invitation to a banquet. In that case, they would be exchanged between the host and the guest with each other's names inscribed on the stone. (laughs) Another use of white stones was in the case of a verdict where the judge would use a black stone for guilty and a white stone for innocent. I think of Jesus giving you that white stone that declares you innocent, free, a new creation. He's written a name on it, something that means something special to you that proves to you that your sin is forgiven. When I was meditating on this, I was reminded of the time when a group of religious people dragged a woman in front of Jesus. She had been caught in the act of adultery. They intended to trap Jesus, demanding that he make a judgment in the case. He said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he kneeled down and started writing on the ground. The gospel writer does not tell us what he wrote, but when he stood back up, the accusers had all dropped their stones and walked away. The trembling woman was left alone, and Jesus asked her, Does no one accuse you? None, Lord, she answered. Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. (laughs) Jesus has promised he's going to give us a white stone with a new name written on it. And he, by giving his own body, has declared us innocent if we will by faith receive the gift that he has given to us. The resurrected Christ has offered to give us the hidden manna from heaven, the white stone with a new name. And even in the text of the complaint that he brought to this church he offered them repentance he's always trying to make a way (laughs) do you come here today in need of repentance i just want to say jesus does not despise you jesus does not look for ways to shame you he already knows you. He already knows what has been done. But he is here to offer his grace and his mercy and his redemption and a white stone <laughs> that says innocent, not guilty. He loves you. He calls you to himself. And he offers freedom, riches, beyond what the world can offer. Can't be measured according to the way the world would measure it. It might be a hard road. Not all of the churches had the hard road that Smyrna had, but they did. But if we will be faithful to the end, whichever path God has called us to, we will receive the crown of life. Let's pray. Hmm. Father, I pray that you would prick our hearts to not be those that turn a blind eye to the poverty in our world. You have called us to give of our physical resources, of our finances, of our stuff. And we want to be willing to do that, oh God. We want to work to help those in need. But beyond that, Father, you have given us the mandate to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And if we are with somebody that, is intimidating because we seem poor compared to them we seem outcast they seem together and with it father help us to remember that jesus what you see is the riches of god's grace in our life and for us to be confident to share that with others there's anyone listening that needs to say yes to that grace, I want to invite you to do that today. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. So that means today. Whatever today is, whatever the moment is that you're hearing this and you're saying, I want that relationship with Jesus. I want to receive that freedom, that innocence that he offers to overcome. I want to offer that to you today. It's, the scripture just says it is a matter of calling on the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the beauty of it and the puzzle of it all. How can it be that simple? Because Jesus has offered it to us. So I invite you to just do that. Call on the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, I receive the salvation gift. I want to be free. I choose to follow you, Jesus. I choose to follow you. Amen. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, why not share it with a friend? I invite you to subscribe at Apple Podcasts and our YouTube channel. We'd love to hear your feedback and comments. So glad that you were with us today. Look forward to seeing you next week at Vienna Assembly of God. We love God, others, and life, and we're leading our community in a growing relationship with God.